0: Hello and welcome to the Smells Like Infinite Sadness podcast. I'm your host, Michael Taylor. For those of you who don't know, I run the website, SmellsLikeInfiniteSadness.com. It's a blog covering the best alternative rock from the 80s and 90s up to present day. I'm a proud middle-aged Gen Xer who is still obsessed with the music of his youth and loves to talk about it. And this week I'll be speaking with Billy Gould, best known as the bassist and founding member of Alternative Metal Icons Faith No More. Gould has just released Talking Book 2 is the long-awaited sophomore effort to 2011's Talking Book album from his experimental instrumental trio of the same name, which also features Gigante Sound's Dominic Cramp and Jared Bloom. The album, released on his label Cool Arrow Records, is evocative, eerie, and unnerving, making it the perfect listing during our era of social distancing. In today's interview, I speak to Gould about his new album, discussing how the songwriting process differs from a more traditional rock band format and how important sequencing was to the finished product. We also discussed how the coronavirus pandemic has affected the upcoming summer tour of Faith No More. Uh, also, we discussed our 20th anniversary of their uh, band's 1994 album, King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime, and much more. Sit back and enjoy the interview, and I'll be back afterwards where I'll be playing a track off the new album. So, I guess my first question, it's been 11 years since the last uh, Talking Book release. and All right. So what was the main reason there was such a delay and and what kind of got the ball rolling for the new album to to get back together?
1: Well, it wasn't exactly 11 years. I mean, it came out in 2011. We had it out for about a year and a half, two years. I mean, the original reason we did it It was kind of an experiment because Jared and I had worked on stuff. He has an experimental label called Gigante Sound and I had done some stuff with him, with mixing and some mastering stuff. And we wanted to see what would happen. Coming from two different backgrounds and what would come out of it, so we originally did the talking book as kind of just to see, you know, it was kind of an experiment, and uh, we ended up doing shows with that. And once we started doing shows, we we kind of realized that uh, it could be kind of a thing, and you know, but it took a couple of years, you know, shows, and and by about 2013, 2014, we thought we'd be pretty much ready to make another record, but a bunch of things happened. We, We we finished a tour uh In South America, and we were kind of had this great chemistry where we were improvising a lot, but you know keeping true to the record, which is not easy to do uh with this kind of layered music mm-hmm. and we, we kind of had a, a good handle on it and uh my studio had this flood where everything got ripped out of the studio, oh, and nice. um, they saved everything, but it kind of like took another six months, seven months to get it all kind of working again mm-hmm. and you know, then that happens, and all this material that you had that was really fresh, kind of all of a sudden we were thinking, well, I could do that better. You could do that better. And we're done with abstract music, so it's kind of one of these things like you can't let it go until it feels like it's ready to let go. Yeah. And we just, you know, you get into these crazy things where, you know, you're chasing the dragon, and... uh that's kind of what happened. I mean, a couple. I got in a motorcycle accident. That set us back. But our studio flooded again. Oh gosh. that was crazy. Uh, Faith No More had a record uh, in 2015 and it had a tour. So there's all these things, and then every time you have this break of six months, seven months, you know, and you come back, it's it's you're going to go at it a little bit differently. And you know, thank God we finally got where we needed to get this year. And I, I've got to say, if I when I listen to the things that we did you know, in the very beginning, it was the impetus of this record. Uh, what we came up with at the end was much better. So it was worth it. Well,
0: I was reading in the press release how it was kind of designed to be digested as one whole piece um, seamlessly. That's right. And how much work was put in, into the, like the track listing and, and making sure how the tracks flowed together?
1: A lot. That's part of the thing that uh, took so long because, you know, with this, again, this music is all about feeling and, and, and kind of making a statement that feels whole. Uh, it all kind of has to make sense with each other. And um, it's like working with clay. You know, you you kind of go in one direction and it kind of offsets everything else and, and finding this harmonized balance where every track works with each other and it still kind of unifies as a whole. That just um, That's what took so, such a long time to do. And I, I'm just happy we did it.
0: And do you think I mean we're we're in such a singles driven kind of era right now and streaming and all that, do you think that sequencing is kind of a lost art? And was that
1: it could be. You know, I think that I think yes, it's hard to get attention have an attention span to listen to something like that, even for me. And uh I come from more, you know, I I mean I grew up listening to LPs, right? But um you know, at the same time, I miss something about music is conceived that way because there's an intention to it that I don't hear mm-hmm. so much in, in contemporary music. And so I tend to want to work on music because there's something lacking in my life. and I kind of want to try to find out what I'm missing so I can fill that hole. So I kind of, in a way, we kind of did it for ourselves. Whether it translates or not will be really interesting to see. Mm-hmm. I mean, this pandemic thing might actually be helping a little bit.
0: Yeah, I, and I'm going to get into that in a little bit. But but one thing I really enjoyed about the album, it's for me, it's it's what's so cool about it is it's very hard to place time wise. It feels some stuff feels very modern, some stuff feels kind of ancient or vintage. It's it's got a very kind of timeless sound, given the I guess the diverse mix of instruments you're using on the album. So how do you think that that sound evolved, and was that kind of intentional to have something that you can't quite pin down as far as a like genre or era?
1: Well, it has to do a little bit with our tastes. Uh, And and we're lucky because we all kind of envision the same thing with what we're doing. And and the way I can best describe that is the album cover itself because it's like a really old structure, an old building for an old society. But it also looks like it came from a 1967 film. And there's a little bit of modernity to it, and there's still a very old concept and subject matter all of our work always has this little bit of nostalgia in it. Always, always, always. Um, And we try to make kind of an, I'm talking really abstract, you know, thoughts here, but try to make kind of like nostalgia kind of modern, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. We we like sounds that are evocative, that remind us of things, that take us to things from our memory, but uh, reconfigure them so that it's something new.
0: Well, I was thinking, looking at the album cover and listening to it, um, you know, tracks like Early Sorrows or or They Came at Dawn, it's all got a very cinematic quality to it, I mean, and uh, I was wondering, it kind of feels like a soundtrack that a film that that doesn't exist, so... um,
1: That's exactly what it is, exactly, correct. Then you heard it the right way. We basically, it's visual stuff, so... When we're making the record, you know, we're making a track. We know it's working because we start seeing stuff. We start seeing scenes. It, it, in a way, we're making a film without making a film.
0: Were there any films that inspired it in particular? Or any composers that might have inspired it in particular?
1: Many. I mean, do you think about all the films, I'm 56 years old. All the films <laughs> I've seen in my life. <laughs> all of them, right? It's kind of like... Your relationship, because what happens is when you when you see films, you know, when I was young, I saw the film Duel, right? Oh, yeah. Dennis Weaver. You know, there's a certain it's, it's evocative. It, it brings a certain part of your imagination, you know, or uh, Rebel Without a Cause, or you know, um, uh, Solaris, right? They're all they're all very evocative in different ways, it's the magic of the, the of of, the, of where it takes you. I think is a feeling and and. That's what we're shooting for with the music. It is, it is evocativeness that reminds you of something classic, but you don't know what it is.
0: And I know that, you know, obviously you're best known as, as a bass player, but I was curious what other instruments you played in this album. And is the songwriting process really different for this versus like in a rock band kind of format? How does, how does that kind of, how do you guys kind of start? Well, your...
1: It's completely different. Yeah, completely. So, okay. There's a couple songs that are more conventional on this, which is kind of a, weird for us to do um and i played the piano on one and the guitar at the end on absent horizon um and that was just a it was just a really sparse rough idea and we get that and that's just raw materials like any raw materials and we just mold it and we add any kind of sound that works anything from iphone capturing from uh sampling turntables at six rpm whatever well, as long as it works. And with a band, this is completely different for me because with Faith No More, with my experience before that, everything was linear. Everything was, there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. There's a structure, you're building, that follows like a story. This is completely the opposite. This is like, you can go in any direction. You, It's almost like option paralysis and you're kind of driving, you're discovering where you're going and rather than driving where you're going, you're, you're kind of following. So, you know you're going the right way because it starts feeling like the right way. And, uh, it's a really backwards way to work. I didn't like it in the beginning, uh, but I really like it now. And I also see, because basically what you're doing is you're, you're composing with feelings, right? Mm-hmm. And you're following things actually you're more like channeling. And, uh, when you get there at the end, you're like, why did I, you look at yourself and you go, why did I choose to go this direction? Why why do we make these choices to get here? And why does this feel finished? What is this telling about ourselves? Why we got here. And that's, you look back at it and you're like, you kind of see where you're going, even though consciously at the time, you didn't really know you were doing that. That's a long, long answer, but I hope it makes sense. What I just said.
0: No, no, it does. And I'm I'm glad you brought up absent horizon because I was going to say that I thought that was very interesting how it has a very different feel from the rest of the album, as far as the mix of acoustic guitar and, and piano and, and and horror. so I was just kind of wondering, uh, how did you decide that would be the final track, and and um, you know, that that would be a good way to close out the album?
1: Well, just you know, when we have a material that we get to choose from, I mean, it's kind of like everything goes. And I said, it, you know, I go to Jared, hey, this is there's a bunch of stuff here, like this thing I've got, and he's like, oh man this is completely like a prog thing from like the seventies, right? Like, (laughs) you know, you can see like, like, like like Burt Reynolds in night gear or something. (laughs) And, uh, it's like on the side of a river or something. Right. So it's like, this totally could work with that. And like, it's totally kind of out there, but at the same time, if you can, it can bring this kind of element in, it really actually adds to everything else too. It's not just drones. It's not, it's bigger than that. And, um, so, yeah, this was just kind of a, a small piece of music that we kind of turned into something that fit closer to everything else. And in a way, actually, it was even campy. You know, it's it's, it's actually even some humor in it in a way. Because it's, I mean, for me and my background, putting on a song like that is kind of it's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of strange. But, you know, it's, it is what it is, right? You kind of got to go with the, where it's taking you.
0: I was actually going to ask too where did that that, I forget which song it was but the sound by the beginning about my dad was in the army that was very a very kind of David Lynch feel to that one
1: it it, totally Jared was having lunch with his son and some guy walked into a restaurant and and he was talking and turned his iPhone on (laughs) (laughs) it
0: was definitely some real life
1: (laughs) definitely definitely That that was a real one yeah
0: well, you know, we're talking about the coronavirus, uh, and there's been a lot of talk about when people can see live shows again. Um, did you have any initial plans for live performances from Talking Book Two once things begin to settle down, or you're kind of just keeping it up in the air? Any plans for like a remote broadcast somewhere? Or?
1: I mean, it'd be kind of interesting to do. I, I, we were gonna right now. I was going to be leaving in about a week on tour with No More through the summer, so that. We were going to release this record, but we didn't plan to have any shows because I didn't think it would have been possible. And now that's all up in the air. So that's something we kind of, from our distant spots, can figure out what we want to do. I mean, I think for this music, you could do a remote concert, actually. You kind of could do it. As long as we can get these, I mean, making this music and putting it on, and committing it and mixing it, that's one thing, but then disassembling it, filling out how you're gonna do it live and how you can keep it loose enough to where it can kind of be a little bit different each time you do it that's tough too. reconstructing it again, mm-hmm. so it would take a little doing hard to do from remote locations, but it's possible. We you did it before.
0: do you think with the extra downtime, you guys might start working on some more stuff now or or gonna count maybe
1: of it... i I haven't even thought about it, but. It's,
0: it's not a bad idea. It really is not a bad idea. Well, speaking about the Faith No More dates, are you holding out any hope of any summer stuff still going on, or do you think it's going to be pushed till next year, or just we really just don't don't know?
1: I mean, there's there's a lot of promoters that think it's, they're saying it's still going. So if they're saying that, then I'll, I'll follow that. But I have serious doubt that it's going to happen, anything's going to happen this year. That's just my personal feeling. I would be surprised.
0: I mean, it's, it's stressful for everybody, but I imagine it's got to be really frustrating for touring musicians in this environment. So, um, I guess... yeah weird.
1: Yeah, it, it is. He's also what happens after that. You know, when do people start collecting again? When do they want to even go to these shows? And, you know, like these favorite more shows were actually within pretty big shows with lots of people. So, I don't know when the next time you're going to see... You know, five thousand people in a single space again. I don't know if anybody's going to want to do it even when it's safe. You know, it's hard to say. I I I, I don't really think about it too much because it's not really productive. Just for the reality now, though, it's it's uh, it's just not going to happen. I think.
0: Yeah, it's just very surreal time that we're living in. Have you have you kind
1: of yeah?
0: Have Have you been spending it doing any other recording of any sort? right now or
1: yeah i my 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 twice flooded studio i took the choice pieces out of there and brought it back home so i've been doing work so i'm doing a lot of creative work here at the house so it's great actually it's really nice actually to, to not have to get in the car and drive the bridge to go to the studio every day and um just be able to you know get all my files in order all the things i was juggling around all these crazy hectic schedules like i was trying to get all this stuff done before faith and we left on tour and now I can kind of slow down and catch my breath and it's, it's actually kind of nice.
0: Well, speaking of faith, and more I did want to touch on briefly, this It's the 20th anniversary since uh, King for a day fool for a lifetime. And, uh, I just wonder when you look back on that album, what kind of memories, uh, come to mind or, and how do you think it stacks up against your overall discography?
1: Well, I like it. I liked it when we did it. It was very different than what had come before it, uh, which didn't bother me at all. Um, uh, it had a really strange reception at the time where I, a lot of people did not like it uh, because it didn't have that technicolor thing that Angel Dust had. But um, I mean, now, if I talk about now, a lot of people say that that was the record even more than Angel Dust or nothing. I talked to a lot of people like that. So it's just another, it was just kind of another stage of our life where, I think we wanted something that was a little more direct, a little more stripped down, and, and we worked with a different producer for the first time, and, you know, just to kind of see what happened. And I I, I still think it's listenable, myself, so I could listen to that record.
0: Well, I mean, I think that it's, you know, even like you mentioned, when it came out, it was kind of indifferent, received indifferently, but I think it's become a real fan favorite for a lot of people. It's it's like their favorite album release, their second favorite. It's definitely neck and neck with I, I what think, Angel does.
1: I'm quite happy to hear that, you know, because... That thing we really, really I mean angel just we got kicked around a lot on that one, but King for day we got brutalized on it. I mean, it went down like a rock, but we were also very, very stoked when we finished it. We were very excited about it, so it's nice to see that you know our intuitions, even though at the time they might not it might have seemed like we made a mistake, it actually wasn't at the end, like I think that what we were doing actually stood the test of time a little bit
0: you. Have any plans or any or any plans for like a special edition, or perhaps if if the tour does happen, maybe doing like kind of some deep cuts from it, or has it not really kind of been discussed that much? What do
1: you mean as as like doing more tracks from that record? You mean
0: uh, just like doing like a like a like a re release, or or actually if the, if the tour does happen, maybe adding some like deep cuts to the set from that album, or has it been discussed, or?
1: No, well, you know what's really interesting? I mean, the record business has changed a lot since that record was made. And um, we were on Warner Brothers back then, Reprise. And, um, you know, they they do a lot of reissues of this record and don't tell us about it. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I think they might have some plans, but uh, we don't know what they are. We don't really have a big say in the matter
0: that frustrate you when you kind of find out about it secondhand or
1: uh, you know we knew that this was part of it. it came with the game back in the day even you know when you when you get stuck on a, on a major label these are the kind of things you risk you run into but it's okay i mean we we're not really thinking back there like we're not overly protective over our past body work to the point where it drives us nuts um but uh you know it'd be i don't know it's it is it's it's great it would be great to do something kind of cool but it kind of did happen you know, 25 years ago. So we can let it go.
0: Well, back to uh to talking book two, are there any plans yeah. on, on doing like any videos for it or any? Um...
1: So yeah, we have two videos out now that were both done by directors in New Zealand. Uh, coincidentally. And, um, there was, uh, you can go on, on their YouTube page and you can on the Calera page to there. Um, Basically, the first one was two songs the America. The first two songs, Thermal Drift and um, I forgot the second name. Uh, anyway, he uh, got a lot of uh, footage from uh, like um, NASA and from a lot of directors who had a lot of nature footage and used that. I think it it's cool. It's a little bit kind of Scotty-ish, but um, I think the music and the visuals work very well together. And the second one just came out yesterday, as a matter of fact. Oh, cool. and, um Another new director he did it himself. It's it was all um uh CGI uh to uh the, to track boston glass. And there's gonna be one more coming out in about a week that Dom, our uh third member, he did. Very cool. Yeah. And his gonna be more real t- classic talking vocation that he got found footage from the library and, and assembled something out of that.
0: That sounds true. I always love that kind of kind of a visual collage, and next that can see that really working really well with with the music from that album for yeah. sure.
1: It is way more zen, exactly, exactly. It doesn't really have to tell a literal story, but the impact sometimes without doing that sometimes can be stronger.
0: Well, I guess that wraps up all my questions about the album. Is there anything else you want awesome. to mention about it that you wanted to promote, or anything else you wanted to say about the album before we wrap up, or?
1: I just, you know, I would like to say, you know, this music is really strange. It's hard to put it in a box because it's not just drone music and it's it's not just compositional music. It's, I don't know what it is. We don't know what it is. And um, I'm just, I'm happy that you really took the interest, you know, to talk about it. Because for us, it's, you know, it's something we're really happy. We've just spent a long time doing it. And if we didn't, you know, this would have been hell on earth. So I'm just happy that you wanted to talk about it.
0: Well, great. And I always like to close off with a track from the album that I'm discussing. Is there one track you think that would be good to include on this podcast to, to close out with? That...
1: Oh, yeah. Sure. Try Heridor.
0: Perfect. we'll Well, thank you so much, Billy. I really appreciate your time today. Right. Enjoy talking to you. Okay, have a good one. Okay, okay. take okay. care. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks so much to Billy for taking out the time for the interview today. You can purchase Talking Book 2 at CoolHeroRecords.com and stay tuned for all things Faith and More at FNM.com. It's promised, we'll be closing this episode with Heritor off the new album. I think you're really going to dig it, and I highly recommend it for anybody who's really into fans of film scores and artists like Brian Eno and Apex Twin. Very, very cool. So give it a listen, stay safe, and we'll see you next time.